Well, we are in week three of a series that we're calling What's Next? And the big idea of this series is that every one of us have a next step to take. That no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you have a next step. Doesn't matter if you've been lifelong Christian, like you were, you were born again when you came out of the womb, right? Doesn't matter if you've been a Christian all your life or if you are here for the first time and you don't know much about Jesus, you have a next step to take. And so here, here's the thing about it, is that if you know what your next step is, then you have clarity for your life. You ever thought about it like that? If you know what's next, you have clarity. And uh, the proverb says it this way. Proverb 29 says that if people can't see what God's doing, if they don't know the next step, if they don't know what's next, then they stumble all over themselves. There's no clarity. It's chaotic. It's just kind of craziness. They stumble all over themselves. But when you attend to what he reveals, when you attend to the next step, when you attend to the things that God has for your future, when you attend to what he has for you, that's when you are the most, say it with me, blessed. And I want to be blessed. See, the word blessed means that you're living a life of fulfillment, that you're living a life of joy. And I want that kind of life, a life of fulfillment and a life of joy. Uh, Psalm says it this way. Uh, in Psalm 1611, it says, you will show me what to do next. You're going to show me where to go. What are my next steps, the way of life, and grant me the joy of presence, your presence and your pleasures of living with you forever. When we lean into what he has for us, we're going to be blessed. Amen? Amen? So here's how we say it here. We have a vision, and that vision is four steps. It's, it's actually God's vision for your life. And it goes all the way back to Passover, which was yesterday. And there's four cups that they celebrate in the Passover. And each one of those cups, total message for another day. But they represent the four things that our, our vision is all about here. And that is that we want you to know God. We believe that, that God wants you to know him. That, that you don't just know his name, but you know him personally, Right? I mean, I, I have some neighbors in my neighborhood. We know each other, like we know each other's names, but we're not the kind of friends or neighbors where I can just bust up in their house without knocking. You know what I'm talking about? Do you have any friends like that that just kind of come in whenever they feel like it? it it's awesome, but also you kind of have to use some caution at the same time, right? So we have some friendships like that in our neighborhood where you just can walk in and be like, hey, I'm here. That's the kind of relationship God wants you to have with him, where it's just like an open door policy that you know him and have a relationship with him. Once you know him, number two, you can find freedom. And this is not about you going, oh man, I'm free now, baby. I can do whatever I want to. It's not that kind of freedom. When, when I was a teenager, my pastor's son, he had turned 18 and I heard him just smarting off to his dad on the phone one day, and he's like, Dad, I'm 18. I can do whatever I want to now. And I was like, that doesn't seem right, right? And as a parent, you know that's not right, right? You know it's not. But as an 18-year-old, he thought, man, I can do whatever I want to now. I'm 18. Yeah, you can do whatever you want to if you're not in my house, <laughs> right? So, so the, a freedom that we're talking about here is settling your yesterdays. It's settling everything that's in your past, including the things that you know, if it wasn't in your life, your life would be better. That's what we're talking about. That's the past that we've got to settle. 
Once you know God and find freedom, then you can discover his purpose for your life. That you were born on purpose, for a purpose, and that you've had a purpose from the moment you were born. You are not an accident, despite what your mama might tell you, all right? You're not an accident. My mama never told me I was an accident, but she did say I was unplanned, right? Let me, can I say it this way? There's not a person in this room that was unplanned. Come on. There's not a person in this room that was unplanned. God knew you, informed you. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb. Come on. He knew you. He knew you. So once you discover purpose, then you can live your life to make a difference and do what God's called you to do. And this is not about making money. It's not about making friends. It's not about accumulating wealth and possessions. This is about making a difference in the lives of people around you. So today, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about finding freedom. So uh, week one, we talked about discovering purpose. Week two, I'm sorry, week one, we talked about making a difference. We're going in reverse. And then last week, Pastor Caleb talked about discovering purpose. This week, we're going to talk about finding freedom. Next Sunday, we're talking about knowing God. And I believe dozens upon dozens of people are going to come to know Jesus Christ here next Sunday for Easter. Do you believe that with me? I believe it. I believe it. I really do. Thank you. Thank you this side of the room for believing that with me. I really do believe it though. Uh, So we're talking about finding freedom. Now the Bible's prescription for our lives in order to find freedom, the Bible says that we need to get into relationships with other people. The Bible's prescription for freedom is relationships. Uh, But oddly enough, that's where most of our problems come from, is relationships. Have you ever thought about it like that before? Most of our issues are from other people. But then God says, you actually need people in your life to get past the issues with people. You need it. But today I'm not going to talk about that. The the Bible says uh, that, that Jesus... If we confess our sins to God, he forgives us, but if we confess them to each other, we find healing. Confess to God for forgiveness, confess to each other for healing. So we're not going to talk about small groups and relationships today. That's how we do it here. That's one of the, the, the method that we use is through small groups. We help people find freedom. I want to talk about a different way to find freedom, and that is through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Hey, come on. It's, it's all about the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ. So if you'll go with me in your notes, pull those out. And follow, you can follow along on the screens as well. 1 Corinthians says that, that for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. What does that mean? It means the people who don't know God, the people who are far from God, the people who don't have a relationship with Jesus... They think the cross is just an an icon on the wall or an ornament around your neck. But Paul says, no, no, it's so much more than that. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. Come on, let me say it this way. That Jesus came to save you, yes, but he also came to give you power. He came to give you so much more in this life than just salvation. It's great to go to heaven. I can't wait for that. But I want my life on earth to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it reminds me of that song that we used to sing growing up. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood 
of the Lamb. Now, in my home church in East Tennessee, we sang it this way. It was grammatically incorrect, but we said, they are power, power. Not there is power, they are power. Like, you might not get it if you're not from Tennessee, but they are power, power, wonder working power. Power was one, one syllable. Power in the blood of the lamb. Right? So that's how we did it. Now, um, you just have to go to Tennessee sometime to experience what I'm talking about. There's power in the cross. Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible. And in Revelation, we're actually doing a song next week that's written from Revelations. And, and you're gonna, it's, in, it's so good, so powerful, you're going to love it. Uh, we're doing it just as a special song. But this is what John, the, the revelator, they call him, he wrote this book, Revelations. He says, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last. To which we go, what has come? He says, salvation, power, and the kingdom of God, and the authority of his Christ. That's what's come. That we, have, we don't just have salvation, we have power and authority. Come on, somebody. We have the ability to live our lives, not just to go to heaven, but to live our lives with power on earth. And it goes on to say that the accuser of your brothers, who's that? That's the devil, that's the enemy. The accuser of your brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before God night and day. Can I just tell you today that anything that you've got going on in your mind today is probably an accusation from the devil, all right? So don't give in to that thing. That's what he does. He is an accuser. He lies. But it says this, the next verse says, that they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. How do you defeat the enemy? The blood of Jesus Christ and the word of your testimony. That's how you do it. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus. And if you can't tell, I'm, I'm excited about this, all right? So I need y'all to help me preach today because I'm, I'm, I've been, I'm having to talk really, really fast because I have so much content that I need to give you, all right? So here we go. We're talking about the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ. And it started, it all began really 2,021 years ago. It was uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed. It was a Thursday night, the Thursday before Good Friday, which by the way, Good Friday was only good for you and me. It was not good for Jesus. It was the worst day of his life. It was a terrible, horrible, no good very bad day for Jesus. And so at this supper, we, we call it the Last Supper. We, we've believed that it was a Passover meal. We, we believe that they were eating together in this upper room that they had. And Jesus washed the disciples' feet that night. He served them and washed their feet. And in the middle of the dinner, Judas gets up and he leaves. Judas is headed to betray Jesus. He's going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Well, after dinner, Jesus and the other disciples, they head to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to have a prayer meeting there. And Jesus is under so much stress, so much pressure, the Bible says his, his sweat is like drops of blood. There's actually a medical condition for that, where you are under so much stress and pressure that you sweat blood. And, and here Jesus is. He's having this prayer meeting. 
And he's over here by himself. He's praying. He's crying out to God. He's asking God, would you take this cup from me? Would you, would you do a work in my life? Which, can I just tell you, by the way, that if you are going through something, the best thing you can do is get on your face before God. Come on. Don't wait until the last minute. The, the most important thing you can do is get before God in prayer. And that's what Jesus is doing. After the prayer time is over, here comes Judas with the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. They're coming to arrest Jesus. And from that point, from the Garden of Gethsemane, they take him through a gauntlet of six trials within about a 10-hour period. We all, by the way, were illegal. It was against the law for them to try someone at nighttime. And it's the dead of night, and they take Jesus, and they run him through six trials with Annas, Caiaphas, um, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, and then back to Pilate again. All of it is illegal. And, and, and here they are trying to pin something on Jesus. Why, why are they doing this? Matthew says it this way, that the chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin, they were looking for false evidence. They're trying to find something that they can pin on Jesus so they can put him to death. This is their moment to make sure this Jesus never says anything again. But here's the deal. They couldn't find any evidence. You know why they couldn't find any evidence? Because there was none. He's perfect. He's the spotless, blameless lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth. Here he is, Jesus. And they can't find anything on him. So they're pulling out all the stops. I mean, he is the one who knew no sin, but he became sin so that you and I could be the righteousness of God. And they pull out all the stops, and finally they find something that he's guilty of. And the, the, the chief priest, the high priest, he says, are you the Messiah? Tell us, are you the son of God? And this word Messiah, the Greek word is Christos. It's, it's where we get Christ. Jesus Christ. That's not his full name, by the way. It's not his first and last name. Jesus is his first name, Yeshua. Christ is his last name. Not, no, it's not. It's his title. Christ is his title. It's who he is. He is the Christ. Now, what does Christ mean? It means the anointed leader who will bring peace and freedom from captivity. So the chief priest says, tell us. Jesus, are you the anointed leader who will bring peace and freedom from captivity? And Jesus says, you've said it. Yeah, that's me. And the Bible says that they spit on him and they struck him with their fists and the others slapped him. And from that point on begins the most horrific, excruciating, painful and humiliating execution ever known to man that's the cross the cross isaiah actually prophesied about the cross 800 years before jesus was on the cross isaiah you can find him in the old testament he's a prophet and he he sees in his mind's eye he has this vision of the cross of jesus 800 years before it happened. Come on, somebody. That's called a messianic prophecy. And Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. And there's four things that we find in Isaiah chapter 53 
I call them the four provisions of the cross that Isaiah found. And he, and he saw these. And I'm going to show them to you. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, some translations say stripes, we were healed. So these are four provisions that the cross brings us. And I want to talk about those today. These four things are not what Jesus, it's not just what Jesus, let me say it this way. These four things did not happen to Jesus, they happened for you. They didn't just happen to him, they happened for you. And what I, what I discover so many times is that there, there are so many Christians in this life who are, you're, you're going to heaven one day, but you're not living in the provisions that he has for you today. Like you know Jesus, but you're not living in these provisions that he has for you, and I want to help you walk out these provisions, live out and see these provisions in your life today. And it all starts with the wounds. I'm not going to give it to you in this order. I'm going to go in chronological order. It started with the wounds, the stripes of Jesus. After Jesus went through all of those illegal trials, Pilate says, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with this guy. You guys, you, you do what you're going to do. I'm washing my hands of him. And he has Jesus flogged, scourged. And they used what we call a cat of nine tails. It has a handle about this long. And out of this rod came nine leather strands. And uh, they were thick leather strands, very thick leather strands. And they would take horse hair and they would tie bone and, and rock and glass and wire into these strands. And then they would soak this cat of nine tails into a bucket of water. And it would become so heavy that they needed two hands in order to lay it across the person's back. And so they grab this cat of nine tails, they lay it across Jesus' back, and they pull down. And it begins to rip his back to shreds. Thirteen lashes over this shoulder. Thirteen over this shoulder. And thirteen right down the middle of his spine. Thirty-nine lashes. Some translations say 40 minus 1. It's because 40 was the law. You couldn't give more than 40. And the Jews, out of their fear of God and, and their desire to, to obey the law, they said, well, well, we'll give one less, 39 lashes. What's, what's strange to me is that they, would be, they were willing to break the law in so many other ways, but not, not there. And so they, they give him these 39 lashes, and it tears him to shreds. It would often separate the shoulder muscles. His back is like hamburger meat, if you can imagine that. The cat of nine tails, over and over and over again on his back. Why? Why, why would he do that? Why would he subject himself to this kind of punishment, to 39 lashes? Why would he do that? Well, in your notes, write this down. It's the whip that represents this provision that God gives us for freedom in my body. So he took the stripes on his back. He, he was whipped for our healing. That's what it is. The whip brings healing into my body. That by his stripes, 
I am healed. Now, I just got to tell you that we are a church that believes that, the, that anything that God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you, and anything he's done at any time, he can do now. And that includes he can heal you by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe that. And so every stripe that he took on his back was for your disease, for your dis-ease, and for your infirmities. There's nothing too hard for our God. He is still the great physician. He can still heal, still heal, still heal. I believe that. Do you believe it? I believe it. By his stripes, we're healed. And I love what Peter says in, in 1 Peter 2, 24, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for his righteousness, that by his wounds, this is a quote from Isaiah, by his wounds, you have been healed. Can I just tell you, it's past tense. You were healed. When Jesus took the, the stripes on his back, the healing was paid for then, at that very moment. Well, well, Pastor Ben, why doesn't he heal everybody then? If he heals, then why doesn't he heal everybody? I don't know. I don't know. I do know this, some people he heals on earth, and some people he heals in heaven. Either way, I'm going to be healed one day. I'm just going to trust him in the meantime, amen? Do you, do you believe that Jesus came for your healing? Yeah. So after they scourged him, 39 lashes on his back, they did something they, they wouldn't normally do. Jesus is a high-profile kind of a guy. They do something they wouldn't normally do. They, they took him into the governor's palace, which was called the Praetorium. And this Praetorium, uh, just like any big mansion today, like maybe the White House or something like that, there are rooms inside, offices. There's, there's uh, probably a place where the secret service is. And, and this Praetorium was kind of like a locker room, if you will, for the soldiers where they came to get ready for the day. So here's Jesus. He's in the praetorium. They, they take him in here. And, and these soldiers, the Bible says the entire garrison came into the locker room. That the garrison means everybody on duty that day. Came into the locker room. They begin to make fun of Jesus. They begin to mock Jesus. They actually, they hated Jesus. They were angry at Jesus because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. They were Roman soldiers. They were over the Jews. There's no king over the Jews except Pilate. No, we're over you, buddy. And so, in a very real sense, Jesus experienced a hate crime because of his race. Because he's a Jew. And they're Romans. And Jesus is undergoing discrimination and persecution because his skin color. And his, he's, a, he's a Jew. So, they begin, they put this purple robe on Jesus. They blindfold him. They begin to punch him in the face, and they say, tell us, king of the Jews, who hit you? And not only could Jesus have told them who hit him, but he probably could have made him a pile of salt. You know what I'm talking about? Like he could have just made him a pile of ashes, a grease spot on the, on the floor. He did nothing. They, they salute him. All hell, king of the Jews. They make fun of him. They mock him. They hit him. They slap him. They spit in his face. They pluck his beard out. You know what he does in return? Nothing. He says nothing. He does nothing. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed leader to bring peace and, and freedom from captivity won't respond to them. So they pull out this 
long vine of thorns. They say these thorns are about two inches thick and they wove a crown because every king needs a crown. And they press this crown of thorns down on Jesus' head. Not only does it cause him to bleed outwardly, but these, these thorns are so thick and so, so they go so deep into his skull it causes internal bleeding in his head and he has this pressure that's unreal in his head. Why would he do that? I mean, he's the king of kings. Why, 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 would, why does he have to go through that? Why does he have to wear this crown of thorns? He didn't do anything. He didn't deserve it. Why would he put himself through that? And I would ask you, where do most of your battles come from? In your mind. Let me say it this way. In your notes, the crown of thorns represents provision. It's freedom in my mind. What is that? It's peace. Like Jesus died not to just give you salvation, but to give you peace from everything that you're going through in this life. That the punishment that brought me peace was upon you, Jesus. You went through all of that so I wouldn't have to go through it. You experienced the pain so I wouldn't have to. And so I'm talking to everybody here today who's, who's dealing with anxiety and fear and worry and doubt and depression and your brain is driving you crazy. In fact, maybe there's somebody here today that you, you would say, Pastor Ben, I'm contemplating ending my life because I can't handle these thoughts. Jesus died to give you peace, my friend. He, he died to not just save you, but he died so that you could have peace on this earth. And I'm begging you to take advantage of that peace. Take advantage of what he died to give you. Jesus said it this way in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I'm not giving like the world gives. Come on, I'm giving you something that doesn't have a condition. You don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. He's given us peace today. And if you, if you don't have peace, then, then I would suggest you have not experienced everything that God has for you. He wants you to have peace in your mind. Can I get a witness today? He wants that. Amen. Amen. Isaiah, the same one who prophesied 800 years before the, the crucifixion, he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You could, you could rewrite it and say, because I trust in you, Jesus, you're going to keep, because I trust in you and my mind is on you, you're going to keep me in peace. Come on, how do I have peace in my life? I trust the Lord and I keep my mind on him. Amen? Amen. So they, they mock Jesus. They he put this crown of thorns on him. And after that, after they've mocked him, they bring him out of the praetorium. And they, they make him carry his cross up Golgotha. That's the hill. In fact, it's, Jesus is so worn out, he can't carry his own cross. Somebody has to help him with it. They get to the top of the hill, the skull, as it's interpreted, Golgotha, and they lay the cross down on the ground, and Jesus lays his body down on the cross, and they drive not just nails. I'm not talking about a 16-penny nail. I'm talking about a spike into his hands and into his feet. 
And in, in the Roman day back then, the hand was considered everything from your fingertips to your elbow. Have you ever seen somebody shake hands where they grab the whole arm? Like in different cultures, they grab the whole arm, not just the hand. It's because they consider this the hand. And so if they had crucified Jesus, if they nailed him in the palms, it's likely that his body weight would have just ripped right out of the cross unless they tie him on, onto the cross. So what they would do, I believe it's likely they, they nailed him right here in the wrist, right between the bones in the wrist. And when they would put him on the cross, they, would, they bent his knees just a little bit so that his, if, if he was straight, he could catch his breath. But they would bend the, the, the knees of the person just a little bit where, where the palms and the hands are up here. And so in order for you to catch your breath, you, you, you would have to go and fall back down. So the idea of a crucifixion wasn't blood loss, it wasn't pain, it was suffocation. They wanted you to suffer on the cross. And so here Jesus is, nailed through his hands and his feet onto the cross. Why would he do that? Why would he take those spikes in his nails, in his hands and feet? Here's why. Because our hands, your hands, my hands represent everything that we have ever done. And our feet represent everywhere we've ever gone. And so what Jesus was saying is, I know what you did last night, and I still love you. I, I know what you're going to do tomorrow, and I still love you. I know where you went, and you shouldn't have gone there, and it got you wrapped up with some wrong people and, 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 and some decisions that happened in your life because of that, and I still love you. Jesus died on the cross. Why? Number three, write this down. The nails represent a provision of freedom in my hands. In other words, there's no shame. My past is in the past. Like, like he's taken care of that for me. He's forgiven me from, for everything that I've ever done and that I'll ever do and, and, and for every place that I went that I wasn't supposed to go. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That's the, the, the Bible, the the. the the message of the cross is actually called the good news. That's good news, everybody. Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews 8, Jesus, um, uh, the, the scripture records it this way, that I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. That as far as the east is from the west, that is how far he has removed your transgressions from us. So you're saved. Great. Praise God for that. But you don't have to live in shame and guilt and fear and condemnation anymore. It's in the past. And Jesus has forgiven you and washed you clean in Jesus' name. He's forgiven you. See, he doesn't want you to just be saved. Hebrews 9 says he wants you to be purified in your mind. He wants to purify your consciences from sinful deeds so that you can worship the living God. See, you, if you come in here with guilt and shame and condemnation, you're not going to worship God like he created you to worship because you're going to be hiding behind something thinking, God doesn't want to hear from me. I'm too messed up. Jesus, is, he's mad at me. I've done, the, I've done so much wrong. Come on, somebody. But when you get it out and when you get the past in the past and you're living with no shame, no regret, no fear, you can stand before a holy God and worship him without any fear or hindrance because you belong to him. You have a purified conscience. 
preaching. I'm preaching today. Preaching. That's why. Man, that's a provision of the cross. No shame. Come on, I want that in my life. You need that. We need that in our lives. So at 3 o'clock on Good Friday, Jesus breathed his last. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They were surprised, by the way. Everybody who was in attendance, they were surprised because criminals could last hours, sometimes days on the cross. Here he is hanging on the cross and he's already breathed his last. The other criminals beside him, they're they're having to break their legs. In fact, they would do that. Back in those days, uh, this is happening on Friday. The Sabbath is at sundown on Friday night to Saturday night. So they can't have these criminals hanging on the cross. They can't have Jesus up there hanging on the cross on a Sabbath. So they got to hurry up the process. And so for the other, the, the criminals, they broke their legs so that there was no way they could push up to get the breath and they would suffocate. And the Bible says, also it's a messianic prophecy, that Jesus would have no broken bones. By the way, he didn't. Because when they went to check Jesus to see if he was dead, they took a spear and they ran it under his rib cage pierce his heart if he was alive every, every beat of his heart would, would just gush out blood but the Bible says when they pierced his heart blood and water flowed it's, it's a Scientific, scientifically explained as a hypovolemic shock. It's when your heart is under so much duress and stress, fluid builds up, and there's, there's a, a, a little fluid sac there by your heart. So when he died, when they pierced his heart, that blood and water flowed. That let him know he was already dead. What did Jesus die from? Was it, a, was it blood loss? Did he die from pain? Did he die from suffocation? No, I, I think Jesus died from a broken heart. He died from a broken heart. He experienced the hurts in this life. He was crushed for our iniquities, the Bible says. Crushed for our iniquities. His heart was crushed so your heart wouldn't have to be crushed. Listen to me. You've probably had a broken heart before. Your heart's probably been crushed by divorce or a child who's far from God. Maybe your heart's crushed by bankruptcy or a business decision. Maybe, maybe you didn't get the promotion. Maybe a spouse hurt you and your heart's been crushed. Number four, write it down this way. The spear 
there's freedom in my heart. That no matter what's been, what's crushed me in this life, I can still have joy. That he is, he is, he's going to restore to me the joy of my salvation. That he didn't come to just save me. Thank God for that. But he came to give me joy on this earth. That I can have joy. I can walk with healing in my heart. That he was crushed for our iniquities. Last night I had the privilege to celebrate my first Passover. And as I cry, it just it reminds me of that. In one of the steps of the Passover, you dip this bitter herb parsley in in some salt water and the whole point of it is to remind you of the people who are still in bondage and as I cry this morning I'm reminded there's some of you today you're still not experiencing everything that God sent his son Jesus to the cross to give you you're you're not experiencing everything that Jesus death on the cross provided you and I want that for you today I want it for you Because Psalm 147 says, He heals the brokenhearted. He heals the people who still still are battling some things. They're still walking in some some bondages in their life. They're they're, They're not experiencing the provisions of the cross. And He's come to bind up your wounds today. If you would, would you just bow your heads with me? And let me end up this message with it an opportunity for you to know that today you can walk out of here and experience those things I'm talking directly to people today who you don't know Christ you're far from God you don't have a relationship with Jesus listen there's no way that you can experience these provisions if you don't have a relationship with him you can't have true peace you you can't have healing in your body you can't experience freedom from your past and and, and the, the, the guilt and the shame being washed away. Your heart can't experience true joy in life if you don't know God. And that's what I want for you today is I want you to know God. I want you to walk into a new relationship with Him today. Out of the bondage. And I want you to experience Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. That means you have to make a decision. You have to decide today, I'm going to give Jesus all control of my life. And if that's you... On the count of three, I want you to just slip up your hand and say, that's me, Ben. One, two, three. I want to know Jesus. Thank you. Who else? Anybody else? Thank you. I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want him to rule in my heart and in my life. Anybody in the balcony? Anybody up there? I I see you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands are up all over the place. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Thank you. Thank you. I see you over here. Hands down. Five or six people said, that's me, Ben. I want want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, and I want all of us to pray this prayer together today. Let's pray it together. Say, Jesus, I give you my life, my past, my present, and my future. I surrender all that I am to you. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Forgive me for all my sin, all unrighteousness. Help me to live for you for the rest of my life. 
In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God thanks today. Let's praise God. Amen. Amen.